the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, we are to walk in truth habitually and consistently. We're not to walk in darkness. Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching the Word of God with truth from the Bible. For more information, go to corechurchla.org. That's corechurchla.org. Now here's Pastor Steve with today's Core Truth. We're picking up again in the study. This is part two. We'll be in Exodus chapter 24. I entitled this message, The Gift of Waiting. You know, now look, there's very few people in the Bible that get to see a glimpse of God. Very few. Uh, Elijah was one of them in 1 Kings 19. And, you know, he got to see a little glimpse of the Lord. Now, as you know, what happened there, it started in 1 Kings 18, where, you know, there was a Super Bowl of the gods, you could say. You know, it was a showdown up on Mount Carmel, and whoever's God would answer the prayers of uh, bringing fire down from heaven and consuming the altar would be, he would be God. And of course, you know, the false prophets tried to, you know, get their God, which doesn't exist, to bring fire down. And of course, nothing happened. They started cutting themselves and crying out, oh, you know, here are prayers. Nothing happened, of course. Then finally, Elijah got up there, soaked down the altar, and he called down fire from heaven. And fire came down and just consumed the whole altar and everything. And all the people bowed down, you know, oh, the Lord is God. The Lord is God. Yeah, you think so? You're a little scared now. And then Elijah took a sword and killed 850 of the false prophets of God, then ran back to Jerusalem. And then all of a sudden he found out from King Ahab's wife, you know, Jezebel, that sweet peach of a woman there. She says, I'm going to kill this prophet of God. The son's not going to go down until he's dead. And for some reason, all that faith that Elijah had went right out the door and he was filled with fear and he ran off into the wilderness. And so God finally meets him out there and says, you know, Elijah, what's going on with you? And he's like, I'm the only one. There's, there's no one else. Everyone's bowed down to serve all these other gods. I'm the only one. There's nobody else left. And God's like, yeah, whatever. Okay. And so he says, I'm going to come and speak to you. And so, uh, you know, he's in a cliff in a cave and you know, all of a sudden the earth starts shaking and an earthquake and fire's coming down and wind's blowing like a tornado and he's just all freaking out. But God was not in the earthquake. He was not in the, you know, the rumbling of the ground. He wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the fire. But then there was a gentle blowing. And Elijah came out to the opening of the cave and he looked and God passed by and he saw the, the backside of the glory of the Lord. And Elijah, what are you doing here? Huh? He's like, I'm the only one. There's no one else left. And God's like, yeah, okay, whatever. Hey, would you just get back on the horse here? Like, just get back. I need you to go anoint this guy. Like, he never answers any question of Elijah. He said, get back in the serving. Stop thinking about yourself. Stop being so filled with fear here. Just get back. 
Yes, it's like in verse 4, Moses, he wrote down all the words of the Lord here, and he built an altar symbolizing the 12 tribes of Israel as God is establishing this covenant with these people here. And God wants these people to understand that, that there's, a, there's a covenant, a relationship between the two, which brings up our point here, words of commitment. So let's pick up again in Exodus 24, verse 5. It says, And he sent young men to the sons of Israel, and they offered burnt offerings, and they sacrificed young bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood, and he put it in basins, and the other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and he read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, quote, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient, end quote. Verse eight, so Moses took the blood and he sprinkled it on the people and said, behold the blood of the covenant, which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Wow. Okay, this is kind of crazy because we don't do this kind of thing anymore. But look what happened here. I mean, there's all kinds of blood being poured out here. Okay, animals are being sacrificed. And Moses takes the blood and puts it in a bowl, you know, from these animals. And then he starts sprinkling it. He's sprinkling it on the covenant, on the words that have already been recorded. He's sprinkling that blood on the people. But why did he do this? Because in the Bible, covenants were sealed with blood. Covenants are like contracts. It's an agreement between you and me. And it's sealed with blood. All the covenants and these agreements that God made with man were all sealed with the blood of animals that were sacrificed. And when we see the covenant between God and Abraham back in Genesis 15, we see a calf that they literally cut in half. And the meaning of this was if someone breaks their end of the covenant, they should be cut in half. Wow. That's a pretty serious situation here. Yes, covenants were not to be broken. And in this case, the covenant for God's chosen people was to walk with him. It was to obey his word, which Moses recorded. And the people heard and they agreed to all of these things as spoken by God. Again, it's written And it's recorded so that the details do not change. See, God is really good about that. That's why everything is written. In fact, at one point in, uh, you see, Romans chapter 5, it's talking about the difference. He talks about this in 5, 6, and 7. But he's talking in Romans about how the people between Adam and Moses, they died, but they did not die in total sin because it was not recorded and written on how they should live. And there wasn't a law and a covenant with the written law of God. So it was just handed down traditions. But after it was written, now we are completely responsible. That's why God goes into so much detail on telling us how to live and what is right and what is wrong, because it is now written And it is now there inside of his word so that we can know how we live. And this is why contracts are still binding today. If we sign a contract, we are bound and we are liable for what is written in that contract. Nothing can be added to it. 
You know, and that's what we have here in Exodus. And what we have here in Exodus is also recorded in the New Testament. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 19, it says, For when every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law, because it was written, remember, he had sprinkled it. What was written? He had sprinkled the people. He took the blood and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Wow. So we have to understand, this is a big deal here. Consider Jesus. He died on the cross for all humanity. That was sealed with what? The blood of an animal? No. It was sealed with his blood. When we come into a relationship with God, we come into a covenant. This is the new covenant. It's based upon God writing his word now upon the fleshly tablets of our heart. It's not a new word. It's the same word that has been written in the Bible, but now it's on the fleshly tablets of our heart. This is why we have a conscience inside now. Because even though you might not be familiar with a certain passage of scripture, God has written it in your heart. So when you go to do something wrong, your heart is throwing up a red flag saying, oh, I don't think you should do this. You know, And then when you do something that's wrong, you feel guilty about it. Why? Because God wrote his word on the fleshly tablets of our heart. So you're bound to that. And then you feel guilty inside. But see, we are no longer saved through the sacrifice of animals. See, God allowed, because basically sin cannot stand before God. So in order for a person to go to heaven, they'd have to like die for themselves. But then that wouldn't even work. So God allowed our sin to be put on an animal. Think about that. So it's like the priest would go down and take a knife and cut the animal's throat and they'd just start gushing blood out of the main artery. And it's just that animal lay down and die because God allowed that blood and our sin to go upon that animal and that animal died in our place. So he allowed the blood to what, as the Old Testament put it, cover our sins so that when God looks down at us, he would see the blood and he wouldn't see our sin. But now in the New Testament, it's not like that anymore. Now, Jesus himself, who is Jesus? He's God in the flesh. So God came down from heaven, dwelt in a body like you and me, flesh and blood, allowed himself to be stricken, beaten like an animal. He was led to the cross like a lamb to the slaughter. And they said they beat him so badly that you couldn't even tell he was a man. They pulled a beard out of his chest. They took a cat of nine tails and lashed him 39 times. That was a Roman whip that had bone and metal tied to the ends. And they whipped his back completely off, completely shredded for you and me. And that's how we've been saved. So when we're saved by the blood of Christ, it means that Christ literally poured his own life out for us. How much did God love his own creation, humanity? The creator came down and died for it. So I just want to make a point here. When you find yourself in that place and position where you are having a really hard time forgiving yourself, You've done something horrible. You've done it again. You're like, God, if you forgive me for this, I'll never do it again. And then there you are, you did it again. And you're thinking, I could never be forgiven. God, there's no way you could forgive me for this because I've done this before. And it's like, I'm sitting here and it's like, I'm just like, I can't do this anymore. There's no forgiveness for me. Think about what you're saying there. What you're saying is, this isn't enough. There had to be something else. You're saying that the blood of God himself is not enough to forgive you. 
See, we are saved by the grace of God. The very word grace means his unmerited favor. You and me do not deserve God's forgiveness. We don't deserve it. We're not, we never deserved it. It's not about somehow I can do some good works and, and make up for it. No, 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 no. You're guilty for what you did. And none of us deserve his forgiveness. But God says, by grace is sufficient for you. He says, but I have an unmerited favor for you. I'm going to give this to you. And that's why his mercy says, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. You deserve judgment, but I'm going to pour favor on you instead. So when you say, this isn't enough, no, it's more than enough. Even though you don't deserve it, God has given us forgiveness and his grace and his mercy. And that's why we can be forgiven of the most heinous of all crimes. And no matter how many times we've done it, because the blood that sealed this new covenant is the blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. And that's why we don't sacrifice animals anymore. Think about what the Bible says in Hebrews 9, verse 12. It says, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, God's own blood. God entered the holy place once and for all. Amen. God entered the holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and ashes of a heifer sprinkling, those who have been defiled sanctified the cleansing of the flesh, like if God allowed that in the Old Testament, how much more would the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Wow. Oh, my goodness. Praise the Lord. This is why we get to heaven. Not because we're good people. Not because I'm a Christian and I do a Christian thing. It's like, no, no, no. We get to heaven because there was a sacrifice of God, the God-man Jesus. And that's how we're getting to heaven. So when we stand before him, it's not because I did this good deed or did that good deed or go to church and was a good person. No, no, no. I'm getting to heaven because of what he did for me. Now, In spite of what he did for me, or because of, not in spite of, but because of what he did for me, that's what should make every Christian want to serve him more. God, if you can love me with as much of a wretch that I am, and you didn't pick me up and kick me through the goalposts of life, the least I could do is to serve you. The least I could do is to, to be that person that shines the love of Jesus around. That's the least I could do. It's just saying, I'm a Christian, and I'm going to do what the Lord would have done in this situation. That's all it means. That's it. You know, 1 John 1, 7 says, If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, the very next verse says, If we say we have no sin, we're a liar, and the truth isn't in us. But then it goes on in the next verse, and verse 9 says, But if we confess our sin before God, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why? Because it wasn't the blood of a goat or a bull that died for you. It was God himself. Yes, we are to walk in truth habitually and consistently. We're not to walk in darkness because, again, you know, if we continually walk in darkness, we're not a Christian. See, if we're habitually walking in darkness... 
See, it doesn't mean that you're not struggling in a sin. It doesn't mean that you haven't fallen to the same thing over and over again. But it means that the person who's just okay to just live in sin, like I'm just living in sin, I have no remorse, I have no sorrow, I'm just doing it. Like I'm good in all these other areas, but there's one area I've just thrown up the white flag and I'm doing it. It's like if you have no desire to repent or turn from that sin, then you're not even a Christian. Because that's what a Christian is, is a person, he can't live in the sin. It's like, yes, I have this area of darkness in my life, and I'm battling this thing. But if you, thrust of your life is living for Christ, even though you might fail here and there in the same thing, you might stumble at times. It's like, when you are a true Christian, the thrust of your life is to walk with him. Obviously, none of us are perfect, And that's why we're saved by grace in the mercy of God, which brings up our final point, words of waiting. Let's read what he says here in chapter 24, verse 9. He says, Then Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. And under his feet, there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire, as clear as the sky itself. Yet he did not stretch out his hand against the nobles of the sons of Israel, and they saw God, and they ate and they drank. Now the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and remain there, and I will give you the stone tablets with the law and the commandments which I have written for your instruction. This is going to be the Ten Commandments on the stone tablets. Verse 13, so Moses arose with Joshua, his servant, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. But to the elders, he said, wait here for as until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a legal matter, let him approach them. Then Moses went up to the mountain And the cloud covered the mountain, and the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses from the midst of the cloud, and to the eyes of the sons of Israel, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like consuming fire on the mountaintop. And Moses entered into the midst of the cloud as he went up to the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Wow, man. So God reveals himself to the leaders of Israel. I mean, this is just, it's remarkable. I mean, obviously they're not seeing God in his total glory, but good grief, they're seeing a piece of him. They're seeing more than any of us have ever seen. And notice what's under his feet in verse 10. Pavement of sapphire. God had already revealed himself to Moses in a fire surrounding a bush that didn't burn back in Exodus chapter 3. But here in verse 17, God revealed himself as a consuming fire. And these men stood in the presence of the living God. I mean, it's quite amazing to say the least here. But notice at the end of verse 11, they ate and they drank. Well, did they bring their own picnic luncher? Or did God just like appear like an in and out truck, you know, like, hey, I've got double doubles for everyone here. You know, it's like uh, people are going to have this for about another 3,500 years, but I'm going to give you a, you know, I don't know where the food came from. I don't know. 
Where did the food? They had sacrifices earlier. They got a barbecue going. They got the brisket. I'm not sure, you know, but what a cool thing, though, here. It's like, man, they're in the presence of the Lord. I mean, it's like, I just like the idea of seeing God, fellowshipping with him, sitting down to eat. Wow, one day there's going to be the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're going to be raptured. We're going to be in the presence of God. And we're going to eat together. We're going to be able to sit together. But what can we learn from this? First, there was sacrifice. And then God appeared. Then there was a meal. There was blood that was sprinkled. There was a setting apart of the people. God appeared and they sat down for a meal. What a picture of when our sins have been forgiven. That opens us up to fellowship with God, a time of relaxing, a time that we can have peace with our maker, a time of enjoying rest. Some look at God and all they see is a God of judgment. Oh, you know, God's just a bunch of rules and regulations and judgment. Well, yeah, you know, he is a God of judgment. That's what's going to happen. He's going to judge the whole world. It's appointed for every man and every woman to die once. And after this comes judgment. But when you're his son, when you're his daughter, it changes everything. Now we have fellowship with him, and we will never be judged by him. Yet, for the believer, we see God who just came and died so that we could really know him in an intimate and personal way and have an abundant peace that we could have unrestrained joy. For he now is not just the God of creation. He is our Abba. He's our Papa. He's our Daddy in the heaven. And when lunch was over, verse 13 said, Moses and Joshua were called by God and they went up the mountain into the cloud of God's glory. Then Moses and Joshua waited upon the Lord. How long did they wait? Six days. I mean, think about that. I mean, it's a long time. Six days. I mean, like you just had this whole thing. We got a little glimpse of the glory of God. All this, we had this big meal together. Everything's great. And then God says, no, Moses and Joshua, I want you to come up here. And they went into the cloud and all the elders, what they say, it looked like a consuming fire that they went into. And they're just sitting in there. But it's not like for 20 minutes or two hours. You know, went to Disneyland, went on that, you know, Star Wars Defiance, right? Or whatever is it called? Uh, you know, whatever that thing's called. And it's like, you know, we, we waited. They said the line was going to be an hour and 20 minutes long, 80 minutes. So we waited. We got right to the door. Like you could see the door. There's the door. We're almost there. An hour and 20 minutes. I'm sorry. The line is broken. You can wait or you can leave. Well, let's wait another 15 minutes. 15 minutes goes by, 30 minutes goes by, and 45 minutes goes by, another hour. Now I'm, I'm two hours and 20 minutes invested in this ride. I'm like, oh my goodness, that's it. I'm done. It's over. I'm out of here. So we get up and leave, me, my daughter, and my granddaughter, and we, we walk out. And by the way, I would never go to Disneyland and spend money there. We got in for free, <laughs> and we had a great time. But it's like, we're like, so I'm walking out, and we're just get, getting ready to leave. They had it all fenced off. Once you get past the fence, you're done. And I turned around, I go, can't they just tell us how much longer, like, how long is it going to take to fix this thing? He goes, well, you can go if you want. You can leave early. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? Like, is it going to open air? Or he goes, it's your decision. You have to make your decision. And I'm thinking like, okay, he's giving us a sign here. It's a sign. We shouldn't leave. And, then, and it's like, no, let's go. No, no, no. It's like, no, we're going back in. We go back in. As soon as we walk back in, they open the door. We're on the ride. Okay, so anyway. But it's like, that was like two hours and 20 minutes of like, this is like forever. No, he's waiting six days. Six days. 
I mean, six days you're just waiting. But on the seventh day, God called him a little closer. Leaving Joshua, and he went in a little closer. Joshua is probably just happy. I'm just being honest. I can't believe I'm, I'm, I'm right here. I'll wait right here, no problem. Little did Joshua know at this point that in 40 years, they would still not have entered into the promised land because of the people's rebellion towards God. But little also did he know that Moses would be dead and that Joshua, God would use Joshua to lead his people into the promised land. But Moses waited. And this would lead to 40 days and 40 nights alone with the Lord. Wow. Nobody in all the Bible has ever spent this kind of time with the Lord. 40 days and 40 nights. But let's not forget how long Moses waited on the Lord. Not just the six days here, but he was about... What, 40 years in the wilderness after he left Egypt? 40 years he waited. And now God gave him 40 days and 40 nights alone with the Lord. Yes, I know that we like to rush, but it's better to wait. I wonder about two things as we end here today. Number one, what pain have we caused ourselves by not waiting on the Lord? Number two, what blessings have we missed by not waiting on the Lord? Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app. Core Truth is sponsored by and is a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you've been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA, all one word, to 77977. You can also get via our app and online at corechurchla.org. Or you can mail your support to P.O. Box 34789, Los Angeles, California, 90034. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.